Hey, Green Future Growers. Welcome to Season 4. I'm your host, Jackie Marie Beyer. I'm here to help you create, grow, and enjoy your own organic oasis. I hope you'll subscribe for free on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And let's get growing. Hey, listeners. Did you know that cover crop seeds are incredibly inexpensive? Under $25 for most backyard gardens, and that includes shipping. Growing cover crops is skyrocketing in popularity with home gardeners and is the biggest bang for your buck in improving the health of your garden soil. Green Organic Garden podcast listeners are getting 15% off on all cover crop seeds from trueleafmarket.com. Use code GOG15 to get 15% off cover crop seeds this fall. Some restrictions apply. Received. I'm turning the recorder on so I don't forget. So I always like to tell my guests it is super easy to edit. Um, so if you need to think about an answer, if you need to let a pet out, if you need to do anything, you know, don't hesitate, put me on hold. I don't have any interviews after this. Like last Friday, I did five interviews right in a row. Boom, boom, boom. So I had to keep everybody moving. Now I always try to be considerate and not take a lot of your time, but, um, but just, uh, just know that we're not like, you know, if you want to change something or if you have to do, you know, it's no big deal to me. And then, um, do you have any questions for me? No, I think I went visited your website and looked at, at the things. I love the uh, the the site where you have questions frequent. You ha- and then you have suggested podcasts that t- cover those topics. I love that. I've not seen that in anybody else's website. That's really nice, customer service oriented. What is it now? It's a page on my website that has what? Green Organic Gardener podcast. So if you go to start here, oh. uh, so what do you want to learn? If you're interested in deep garden beds, I might recommend these great episodes. Are you oh. wondering how to grow an organic lawn or earth friendly you know, land? That page does get a lot of people do go there. I got that because the people who host my podcast, it's a company called Podcast Websites, and they're actually based out of London, England, which seems strange wow. to me um that they're remotely affordable um and they they have like uh things to do you know to improve your website and that was one of them and that has made i should probably pay more attention to what those guys say because they have a pretty good blog and they you know their specialty are podcasters i see the guy who runs it is a podcaster he you know sells websites to podcasters and so, you know, he really has a good niche there and right. he knows this stuff really well. I just, um, like, was it January of 2020 or December 2019? I went to Google Analytics and found this thing that said the majority of people leave my website within 10 seconds. Yes. And so I was just, I've just like kind of been in this ever since then. I've just been like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Why am I spending all this time on this website that nobody seems to like, I, I get a lot of downloads and like people seem to listen, but as far as like going to my actual website, like, I think the people that go to my website are looking more for like, you know, how to videos and, and more blog posts and all I really have are the transcripts. I don't know. So until I, I figure that out, I used to spend so much time on my show notes and the transcripts and making everything look nice and putting all these pictures and putting 6,000 links in. And like, literally I would spend like all 
like eight hours doing every episode on my sure. website. And part of me feels like, you know, someday someone's going to go there and I want it to look nice, you know, but I don't know. So I'm glad you, you like that page, it, but it is like uh, in Google, it, it's always like in the top, like five pages. I, I can understand why. Anyway, that's way too much about me. Let me introduce you. Welcome to the Green Organic Garden. It is Tuesday, March 15th already, 2022. I have an awesome guest on the line. I've been talking way too much in the pre-chat, so I'm just going to be quiet. Here from Missouri is an amazing beekeeper, an author, a gardener. She has three books out, or three books that are coming out. A Beekeeper's Diary, Self-Guide to Beekeeping, The Bee Club Basics, or How to Start Your Own Bee Club, and bees need flowers planting, planting for pollinators. So here to dazzle us today and drop golden seeds that are just dripping with honey is Charlotte Ecker Wiggins. So welcome to the show, Charlotte. Good morning, Jackie. That's quite an introduction. Thank you. Delighted uh, to be here. Well, at least I can edit. <laughs> anyway, um, you can tell I've been on like glued to my computer writing this ebook for the last three hours and just kind of like stumbling over my words. So as again, I'm going to be quiet. Tell listeners a little bit about yourself and then we'll dig into your books and things. Sure, be glad to. So I'm a master gardener emeritus and a master beekeeping candidate with the Great Plains Master Beekeeping Program. I garden in USDA hardiness zone. Well, it's supposed to be six, but I don't quite believe it yet. So I, I use five as my guide when I choose my plants. I'm on a one acre limestone hillside with oak and hickory trees, which means that my neighbors thought it was pretty funny when I said I was gonna put a garden here because they said nothing grows here. This garden was established in 1982 oh, wow. and is the inspiration for a custom gift business that I run basically quilts and, and repurposing items. But uh, certainly do enjoy my time now. I have more time with my garden and my bees now that I'm retired from a, a federal job. So Charlotte, I always start out my show asking about your very first garden experience. Like, were you a kid? Were you an adult? Who were you with and what did you grow? Well, you know, it's funny. My mom used to tell the story about my being two years old and planting coffee beans in her favorite orchids. We lived overseas when I was two. That would have been Peru, Lima, Peru. Started out in Mexico, then Lima, Peru, and then Brazil. And I've been gardening ever since. My uncle Tony told me a few years back that we were actually farmers and gardeners and, and beekeepers back to our, our days in Hungary for, and in the 1400s. So I think it's probably in my blood. It sounds like it's in your blood. What an interesting upbringing, Mexico, Peru, Brazil. Wow. How'd you end up in Missouri? Actually, it was my first job out of college, and I was only supposed to be here for two years, and that was 1974, and I've been here ever since. I've worked other places, but this has always been home, home ground for me. Wow. This is why I love biographies. I just love hearing people's stories. I think this is so amazing. So... Tell us about the bees and the and the books. And they're not out yet. Is that what you told me in the pre-chat? No, uh, no, the two of them are out. Oh, bee Club, are. Bee okay. Club Basics was the first one and how to start a bee club. That's because if you what it, is a bee club? 
So it's just a club like any other club, like, like other, any special interest club. The difference in a B club, if it's done correctly, it's first, it's not for profit. So it's for public benefit, not for the benefit of the individuals who are running the club. But secondly, as a beekeeper, you, you need a community of beekeepers to make you successful these days. Beekeeping is not easy and it's expensive. And so if you have a, a, of a, Oh my gosh, you could never have said any truer words. Right. And so if you have a place where you can go and, and get advice, listen to what, what's happening with other bees, the camaraderie, I mean, get two beekeepers together. You might as well just have the rest of the world disappear, right? We love talking <laughs> bees. And so at a club, you can talk bees and not have everybody censor you about you're your getting too involved in bee talk. And that's why a club's important. And the second book that I wrote, is a beekeeper's diary, self-guide to keeping bees. It is a new way of looking at starting people in beekeeping. I've been teaching beekeeping now for 10 years and learned through that process what people need to know as foundational and what they struggle with sometimes. And I've been using this diary concept for that, that long. And then finally decided that I was just going to put it into an easier book than collating loose leaf binders, you know, every time I had a class. And that's what the uh, Beekeeper's Diary Self-Guide to Beekeeping is. It just won an independent press award, first place in how-to. And within the beekeeping community, it's considered revolutionary because I start out by talking about gardening. You have to feed your bees. And how do you feed your bees naturally? By having plants that provide the pollen and nectar that your bees need. So that's the second book. And both of those are available at Amazon or at my company, bluebirdgardens.com. And I'm working on the third one, which are bees need flowers, right? Planting for pollinators. We all know that pollinators are important in our lives, but we don't necessarily know how to go about doing that. And so that's the third book. None of these books are currently available on the market. In other words, it's, it's the first time somebody's written about these topics. And they've been selling relatively well. So that means that I'm meeting a niche. And I also use the books in my classes. My classes are certified by the Great Plains Master Beekeeping Program out of the University of Nebraska at Lincoln. What that means is that they are providing scientifically based best management practices. And the program that they're developing, and I'm, I'm head of their governing committee, is designed to help have provide an education program for beekeepers, not a certification program. There are lots of places you can go and get a piece of paper, but if you wanna be a good beekeeper, you need to be constantly educating yourself. And that's where, where the Great Plains Master Beekeeping Program comes in. I never heard of a master beekeeping program. We've certainly heard of the Master Gardener Program. Yes, it's designed. We've had so many challenges trying to keep bees at our house. It's just been crazy. So well, you need my book. I know the struggles and the challenge. My husband was just telling me yesterday. He was saying that now um, it's like two hundred and thirty dollars. Last year, I think it was like one hundred and sixty-five dollars to buy, you know, a, new, a set of bees and yeah, a little year, little starter colony. Mm -hmm. Yeah, two hundred and thirty dollars. They're up to right. Well, and that's because beekeepers are making money selling bees. They're not making money on honey or propolis or pollen. They're making money selling bees. And that's because maintaining bees is very tough, as you know. The national average is still 40% of them die, and that's not a sustainable number. Historically, if you lost 10%, 15%, 
okay, maybe that would work. But there've been so many hobby beekeepers that have come into the picture that they're at, the hobby beekeepers are actually maintaining those national statistics that 1% above losses. And that's a, that's a good story. That means more of us are keeping bees, more of us are being successful with bees, but it doesn't mean it's gotten any easier in doing that. So we need to Am have- Am I missing something? So 40% die, doesn't that mean 60% live? Wouldn't that be 10% more or no? No. So what's well, the 1%? Right, 40% are dying on the average, according to the Bee Informed Partnership, every winter. And if you could be successful at it, the historical averages were 10% would die over winter. Oh, God. So- you're right. It's good that we have 60%, but it's not, that's not a sustainable number. What's happening right now is that we have more and more beekeepers taking like classes like I provide. And then those, those classes are providing hobby beekeepers who are then contributing to the total numbers. Now, remember some people don't re register their, their hives or answer the surveys, but there's, they're saying that the hobby beekeepers are actually keeping the, keeping the survival rate higher by 1%. Cool. So <clears throat> what are some tips for hobby beekeepers to be more successful? Well, first, if you're start, just starting, it's helpful to read a lot. And the Beekeeper's Diary self-guide is a, a great place to start because it has it's a beginning beekeeping book, but it also has a bunch of checklists that you can then follow as you're setting up your bees. It's you have 14 decisions to make on just where you place your bees in a location. You also want to find a local bee club, go start attend meetings because you're going to learn a language. Beekeeping has a language all of its own. And if you were to tell me, Charlotte, I have my bees hanging out on the outside of the drawers. That doesn't help me to help you. But if you can say to me, I have bees hanging outside the top super then I might be able to give you some advice on what might be happening with your bees. So learn the language, study, be careful what YouTube videos you watch because bee, beekeeping is very local. Conditions 10 miles from where I live can be different than where I live. So it's important to understand beekeeping biology because you're really not telling your bees what to do. You are working with your bees. We tell people we're the coaches, the beekeepers are the teachers. And then, so spend a year learning about beekeeping, learning the terminology, going to club meetings, going to classes. There's nothing wrong with going to two beginning beekeeping classes instead of just one, because it will take you a few times to pick up that language and understand the whole concept. Bees are super organisms, which means that they will do things for the benefit of the hive versus being self fulfilling, self-centered. We as a society tend to be self-centered. And so for some of our beginning beekeepers, just thinking about the bees are leaving because they don't wanna spread diseases in a hive, they have to rethink how they approach bees and, and what the bees are doing. So those are some pieces, some, some good steps to take if you're just starting. What if you can't find a club? Because like we live in a pretty remote area. Sure. Well, the nice thing about COVID, if you can say there's something nice thing about that world pandemic, is that there are a lot of clubs now that are working and meeting online through Zoom. And so 
Bees Without Borders out of Florida has some great speakers that come on it once a month. And they had, uh, I, we just heard uh, Tom Seeley from Cornell University. He's retired, but from Cornell. They had Michael Palmer. These are some of the leading beekeeping beekeepers in our community. And they were guest speakers to Bees Without Borders. So you can listen to their lectures through something like that. And then just go to your, if you have a state association, go to your state association and see if they have a list of clubs that are half offering meetings via Zoom. We've been meeting via Zoom for over two years here in Missouri on, with several of our clubs. And I've been able to attend club meetings that I would never go and travel to just because they were too far away. So try a Zoom, find a Zoom meeting if you can. Okay, that's for sure. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot more Zoom going on and people yeah. meeting virtually for sure. Uh, do you want to talk about like pollinator plants? Well, I'd like to talk about what works and what doesn't work in, in a garden, because I think the pollinator plant list, I am not a fan of because it depends on where you are. The more critical part of providing your bees food naturally is what I call it, is your soil has to be healthy. You have to be kind to your soil. It's disappearing because we're not managing the, wa the water runoff caused by, you know, I'm sitting on a hillside, my, all my water gutters go into ponds and I have terraced beds to keep the water uh, spread out through the soil, but we need to keep our soil healthy. And if we can keep our soil healthy, then the soil will keep the plants healthy. The plants will keep the bees healthy and the bee, you know, and then the, and then the food that we eat from that the bees help raise will keep us healthy. One out of every three bites of healthy food we eat are from bee pollination, fruits, tree, fruits, uh, vegetables, nuts, and seeds are, are their specialty. And so I'm, I consider myself a lazy gardener, although, boy, it may be just because I love gardening, but I don't want to do the, the yucky stuff. I want to be out having fun in the garden. And for me, composting is the easiest thing to do, and it gives so many benefits that I make sure that I'm, my plants are mulched, they have compost. I don't use any chemicals in my garden. I have done that for, this is a 35-year-old garden. And I use a lot of birdhouses out there for natural pest control. And I think that's what we need to focus on, right? Keeping the soil well, well managed and maintained. And then the rest of it comes with it. Oh, Charlotte, like I said, dripping golden seeds. I just feel like you're like a, I don't know, some kind of like soul sister. Like we, like I love making compost too. I'm the same way. Like there's so many garden chores I don't want to do, but right. making compost is like, it's so, it's just such a no brainer. It just drives me crazy that people are like, oh, it's too hard. It's too complicated. Oh, I can't do this. Oh, heavens I'm no. Like, and what you're saying about us, just our soil is going, especially like where we live right now is just the housing boom. And they're just digging up farmland and this beautiful land down the flathead where there was like a glacial lake. I mean, there's like some of the best soil in the whole country. And especially in Montana, where we have like the Rocky Mountains, like build right. the houses where the mountains are and, and use that farmland to grow food. And instead they're just like, I mean, the developments are insane and the golf courses, of course. <sighs> anyway, um, 
Well, I think we need to move away from perfection. You know, when I moved back to the States in the 60s and, and, you know, picked up gardening books and my home and garden magazines, the kind of, of, of magazines that women used to read back then, it was all about perfect green lawns. And I think the turf community certainly has made a lot of money on that. But if you apply common sense to something that you're going to, it's expensive to put in, you have to feed it with, with high, you know, uh, nutritious uh, fertilizers. The minute it grows, you cut it down and there's nothing that it offers back to the environment. And so we need to go get away from the idea of perfect perfection in our gardens and back to balance because nature wants balance. It doesn't want, it's not looking for perfection. So if you have a little bite of a, of a caterpillar on a, on a rose leaf, to me, that's exciting. If I look at my flowers and I don't have a bug on a flower, I'm worried because those, there's a relationship between those bugs, those, those native bugs, your ladybugs, your, your praying mantis, all of those little bugs in your garden that are considered good bugs they still need food. For example, ladybugs need aphids. So if you didn't have aphids in your, your garden, you're not going to have ladybugs. So it's not all about just having the good things. You need to have the good things that get and a way to feed them, right? So then you have to put up with a little bit of holes in your leaves to get the rose because they're together, they, they need that support to grow. Does that make sense? And you're doing such an eloquent job of explaining it. It's so true, everything that you're saying. And like the main theme of my show has been, it's all about the soil. Um, so, you know, talking about that and how that's going to help your bees in the end is just great. You know, the nice thing about that is it's easy to do. It's kind of like exercising. I always tell people composting is like exercising. It's easy to do. Put a bag in your freezer. You, most of us have that little basket that comes out. Fill it up with your kitchen scraps. When it's full, take it outside, dig a hole somewhere and bury it. And once you get into the habit of doing that, then you're going to want a some kind of container, right? Where you can put it in and you'll go get yourself a composter. There, there are a number of them on the market. You can make one out of a 55 gallon barrel or even a smaller plastic container and put holes in it, sink it into the ground, put your, your compost, your scraps in there. I say 50 green, 50 brown. I don't even worry about temperatures. Make sure that you're putting your kitchen scraps in there and then putting some leaves, right? Some dried leaves and let it cook. And when you see that, come out crumbly black stuff that is just gorgeous. You spread it on your garden. I think you get hooked, but it's just about a new habit you have to develop. See, and I was thinking when you first said we need to get away from perfection, like when you, we were talking to pre-chat about my website and you said the YouTube with Patty videos and like, so my friend Patty Armister did all these compost. We, we talked about like our people would come to grow live and ask about different things. And she did some composting webinars and she's like really into like the Sue Johnson compost and making sure it gets to certain temperature and, and doing this and doing that. And to me, that is, that's where the perfection, like, I don't need that. I, right. our garden, I've gotten the soil test done now. Mike's organic matter. My husband 
last spring before he put any compost or manure on it was an 8.3 in organic matter. And I think you're shooting for a 10. Anything above eight is a is good. And that's before he had added any amendments in the spring. Wow. And so, and that's because mostly the majority of what we use is compost. I mean, he grows what I call like the mini farm. So we usually have to get like some cow manure, or, you know, something we can find locally to, to bring in, especially we've had a big problem with bears. So our chickens have gotten white, so we don't have chicken manure anymore. But anyway, um, yeah, it's just, to me, it is so, it's so easy and so natural and so basic. I just, I, I can't stand when I see scraps getting thrown anywhere, whether I'm at a friend's house or I am an elementary school teacher by trade. And when I go to the cafeteria, it just makes me cringe. Like I just want to, I just can't stand that we're throwing all this food into the garbage that could be turned into compost so easily and my mom's fear is always that an animal's going to get in but like we never have this year is the first year we've actually ever had we have like a huge turkey influx in our community yeah. in our county and the turkeys actually went in there this winter and dug all the compost up and threw it all over the place but you know once it doesn't once it thaws and it's not frozen out there we'll just you know it won't it's not that big of a deal to me that they kind of dug through the compost but i you know you know we've never gotten raccoons occasionally we've had skunks get into like eggshells um but montana we have a ton of skunks out here um but other than that like i just i just think it's so easy to have this pile out there i don't worry about it i think composting is so forgiving you can turn it every day or you can turn it once a week or you can turn it once every two weeks and this is where my lawn thing like patty and i were arguing last year because she came to my house and like saw how much lawn we have and but like she lives on the east side of montana in the plains and we live in the woods right on the rocky mountains and so we're surrounded by forest so our lawn is fire break. My husband spent a really long time building up the lawn. So we would have lawn to have this big fire break around our house. And I know it keeps her up at night still dreaming about our lawn. But then <laughs> I started trying to turn more of the lawn into beds. And I found out a couple of things. One, the lawn that grows is great to turn, mix with my food scraps to make compost that will, you know, make a bigger batch of that black gold. And two, turning that lawn the lawn we don't worry about watering during the year whereas the bed so then i just had like two more beds that i had built that had to be watered it just made my watering passes it meant less water going to other places and so i'm kind of like a fan i mean we let our lawn goods brown we do not water the lawn in the summer occasionally like my husband will get close to the house when fire seasons because lately like we now have a new thing called smoke season like the last four summers in a row literally we've had to like border up the house shut the windows oh my like, you can't even breathe outside the smoke has been so bad from not fires locally like coming from california coming from canada coming from pretty far distances away by just getting sucked into our valley anyway my listeners are always telling me be quiet we want to hear from your guests so um well you know the thing that i think people forget is that anything you're doing you have to monitor and so i'm a big advocate of soil tests the university's extension offices can usually do that for you the one here in missouri it costs 15 dollars, 
it's so easy to do. You go outside and with a quart bag, scoop six to eight spots in your garden, take it down there with $15, tell them what you're planning to put there. But if you don't know, that's fine too. And in a couple of weeks, you'll get a nice analysis of what soil you have. And if you've told them you want to plant raspberries, for example, they'll say, well, you need to get your pH up or down. And this is how you do it. And I do that every three years because I'm, a, I'm surrounded. I'm on a one acre on a limestone hill surrounded on three sides by oak hickory forests. And then up the hill, I have a neighbor that is constantly sucking up the leaves. And of course they fall down on my garden and I use them for mulch. And I remember one of the garden uh, uh, master gardeners years ago saying to me, well, Charlotte, you have way too many leaves. You're going to have a very, very acidic soil. You know, it's not going to be good to plant much of anything. My last soil test had me at 7.5. And if you realize that there's very little soil on a limestone hillside, and so I've had to build up all the soil by bringing in mulch and letting it decompose and putting the compost in and putting leaves and putting cardboard, doing all those kinds of things that help provide your soil with that organic matter. I think I'm doing pretty well without being too obsessed about what I'm putting into the flower beds and I'm using what I already have here. So my neighbors now know to bring their seat, their leaves down to me in the fall. So I don't have to go to the recycling center and haul them back over here. And I'm glad to see that it's working because it's a relatively easy thing to do. It's using a product that my garden already has a lot of, and it is producing soil, which I desperately need on a limestone hillside. I know. I think that's awesome. That's great that you figured it out to have your neighbors bring them to you too. Yeah. Well, well, my handyman was suggesting that to me one day. He goes, you know, you, have you noticed all the people who are blowing their seeds into bags and stuff? And I looked up the hill and I went, Ooh, he goes, why don't you tell them just come bring them over here? And that's what I did. And so in the fall, it's great fun because I have all these and I return the bags so they can reuse them. But I, I have these deliveries of leaves that I get to play with. It's a lot of fun. Oh, that's a great idea. And then return the bags. Yeah. And reuse them. And at Thanksgiving, if I have extra honey, the Thanksgiving Eve or sometimes Christmas Eve, I'll deliver a jar of honey. Aww. They like that a lot. So they know me as a bee lady and the bees every once in a while, some of them will say, send me a note. Oh, I saw your bees in my, on my flowers today. And I'll Aww. say, were they behaving? And they'll say, well, yes, they were very polite, you know, so you want to keep the neighbors and you know happy as well you don't want to have government coming in and telling you what how many bees you can you know how many hives you can have and so what if you, hives do you have i have nine that's my goal i have nine i call it nine plus one the one is a bunch of nukes because i like to play with bees i'll split my hives I, I, when I started, I just wanted them for pollination. And now that I'm so involved with them, I do sometimes uh, split them to provide them to new students. Or more importantly, sometimes when our students lose their bees, we say that's a hard lesson, but what did you learn? And if they've learned from their mistakes, then I will share a hive with them, a hive start with them to get them back you know, on their feet again. So is there anything else in the what works, what don't, doesn't work that we haven't gotten into? 
Well, let me think what works. Yeah, I think I think that the the keeping your soil healthy and, and returning nutrients to your soil through composting is probably the most important thing to do for anything. Whether it's beekeeping or or growing your own food, you know. Do you grow food? I do. I'm I'm a big I've had pot gardens, which of course gets people chuckling because they think I'm growing pots. I grow food, primarily herbs, and then some of my favorites like tomatoes, peppers, onions. And I have a number of tropical plants, lemons, oranges, and limes that I grow in pots. Call this my pot garden, which of course is different than what people think of when you hear about pot. But they're they're just in large containers, right? They're... And I've had these for many years because when I used to travel for work, I did not have time and, or accessibility to the garden to actually do some of the raising, the growing that I wanted to do. So I would keep these things in pots on my deck so that the person who was babysitting my house could come over and, and water, easily water, just the pots. And that has been a habit that I've developed okay. over the years. And I enjoy my pot gardens a lot. As a matter of fact, I've got to sow some lettuce seeds and radishes this week because the weather's finally to the point where you don't have ice covering the top of the pots. And I'll get my little garden started. So yes, I do grow my own. Do you have to keep like those oranges and limes and things indoors in the winter? Yes. Like yes. No, they're, they live indoors. They, they live outside in the summertime. They like shade. Our, our, our sun here gets too hot for them in July, August, September. So they are in, in a shady spot on my deck. And then for the winter, they come in, they come, they spend winter inside. I have two grapefruit trees that are probably eight feet tall that friends have started from seed and then they outgrew their house. And so they live with me and I take those outside. And what's great fun is the swallowtail, swallowtail butterflies will use those trees for, for baby food. And you'll see, all of a sudden you'll see these little things that look like bird poop on your, your tree. And those are caterpillars, right? Those are the swallowtail caterpillars and they will consume the leaves off those two trees as as food and then you see a bunch of swallowtail butterflies in the garden a few months later so they're they're butterfly food oh they're and, beautiful and i love keeping the i don't mind keeping them inside over winter and hauling them back outside over summer if they can feed butterflies so what did grow well last year you know i was really happy with my cucumbers on trellises they were grown in pots and I have a trellis that goes over one of my, my walkways. And so I, I had them, the cucumbers growing up. They were so easy to pick on a trellis because they would hang down and I could actually see them. And those that worked really well. And then catnip for some reason, the catnip last year, I, I have rescue cats and they love fresh and dried catnip. So I always try to have catnip out there, but the bees like catnip too, both bumblebees and honeybees. And my patch of catnip did very, very well last year. We'll be, I'll be planting those again this year. So what's something new or different that you're excited to try this year coming up? I've got some seeds from a friend that I've never tried. They, they're from Baker Creek Company, which is a, a rare 
it's rareseeds.com. It's a, a, it's a Missouri seed company that has grown very, very well. And I, don't, I haven't received them yet. So I, I can't tell you exactly what they are, but you recommended that I try a couple of flowers and a couple of peppers. So I'm looking forward to those. I tend to stay though with the tried and true plants. I don't start a lot of seeds because my plants inside, I, I keep a tomato plant inside over winter and I have several peppers that I bring yeah. inside. Uh-huh. And I, I have cherry tomatoes right now that I'm getting ready to pick. And so when they're, let's see, we're almost close to the time when I will plant one of the, the tomatoes and let them start their own little seedlings. And by the time it's time to put them outside, which is around Mother's Day, I will have my own starts of tomato plants. So this friend of mine said, oh, Charlotte, you've got to start some new stuff. So she's sending me a little care package of new seeds to try. And I'm looking forward to that. But I really can't tell you what they are because I haven't received them yet. I know. But I like the tried and true. Because if you know they do well, you know how they operate. They know the soil conditions in which you, you're going to offer them a home. It's a win-win for everybody. So do you save your own seeds then? I do. I just tried spaghetti squash for the first time and oh man, am I in love. And so the minute I, I opened up the, the spaghetti squash, I saved the seeds and I will plant those this year. I also do companion planting. I'm a big advocate of that. So my roses, I have a few roses here. This is not good rose territory, but I do have a few hardy roses. I plant onions around my roses to, de to deter bugs. And then if I need an onion for a salad, I know where to find them, right? I just go up to my little rose uh, flower bed and pick them up. And I mix my vegetables and my roses. I don't have, or flowers, I don't have them in little flower beds, you know, in rows, I actually plant tomatoes in the mix of my flower beds. I have little compact tomato plants that are determinate and which means they grow once and then they produce all their tomatoes. And I like mixing those tomato plants in the flower beds because I can first move them around. They're not, they're not using up the soil every, in every, the same spot every year. And the pollinators get attracted by the flowers and they pollinate the tomatoes, especially bumblebees, right? So I mix them. My mother used to say when she would come to visit that it was always an adventure to cook dinner because we'd go out with a basket, try to find <laughs> where were the onions, where are the tomatoes? Oh, where are the peppers? But it, it works really well. And it's pretty, you know, you, you all of a sudden you have this lovely plant with red on it in the middle of a flower bed that has a lot of green and you're also decorating your garden. I like it that way. My husband grows what I call like the mini farm. That's, you know, like all the rows, like production type of farming. Yes. yes. And then I take care of the beds that are closer to the house. And I, I like that a lot better that are like mixed together and the flowers and mostly herbs and things like that. It How works. about something that didn't go the way you thought it was going to be? Like, what was your biggest challenge last year? Well, I, my, you know, my least favorite thing to do on a limestone hillside is to dig, dig holes. And so last year I needed, I didn't get as much mulch as I would like to have in, in some new flower beds that I'm developing. And I planted some zinnias last year. I love zinnias, absolutely adore zinnias. I planted some last year in a flower bed that wasn't quite ready yet for planting because I just wanted some zinnias. 
And they did okay, but they didn't do as well as they should have. This, these flower beds, I'm lined them with tree trunks and tree limbs from, from where we cleared off some ash trees that were dying from the emerald ash borer, and then filled them up with cardboard and mulch, and then some more cardboard, and then some leaves that I, you know, the neighbors hauled in. And so I don't think the soil was quite ready. The zinnias did okay, but I think they needed to decompose a little while longer before it was really a plantable flower bed. So you are such a wealth of information. I know listeners are loving this interview. So what's your favorite activity to do in the garden? Oh, play with my bees. Absolutely. Follow them, see what they're doing, see what flowers. Say, how do you play with your bees? Oh, yes, you can. Well you, well, you know, you have to inspect your hives periodically to make sure the bees are doing okay. And you can observe your bees, whether I have native bees houses as well. You observe where your bees are going. So you follow them. You know, you go looking at what, what's blooming and are bees on there? Or uh, if I have fruit trees, that's a great time to go see if my, if my mason bees are out of their bee houses and if they're out of pollinating. And I split, sometimes I divide my bees. There are things that I do with my bees to keep the varroa mite levels low. If you're a beekeeper, you're really keeping two bees in a hive, right? You're keeping your honeybees and then you're keeping a varroa mite, which is an invasive pest. And so you need to monitor for the varroa levels. I like to split my hives to keep them small so that I don't have the varroa issue that, that you have when you have really large hives. So there's a lot of things you can do with your bees. What's like a big hive and what's a small hive? Like, what is that? Like, what does that look like? All right. So a, a nucleus colony, which we were talking about earlier is five frames. And that's probably three to 5,000 bees or five to 8,000 bees, depending on the time of year. A full colony, let's say in August here in Missouri, is 60 to 80 to 100,000 bees. So they can grow very fast in the springtime if they have the right resources, right? They have the, they have the pollen, which the nurse bees make into baby food, and then the nectar, which is flight fuel to get them around. And the flowers, of course, are doing this as a service to the bees because they need the matchmaking. They need the bees to move the pollen from one plant to the next plant so that the plants can propagate. So it's a mutual relationship between the bees and the flowers. And if you have good bee forage, which is at least 25 plants blooming at one time through the growing season, April through October, you will have a healthy colony. People don't realize when they look at a pound of honey that that's, that's, that's the nectar of 2 million flowers that have been dehydrated down to 18% by the bees. So that's pretty significant amount of work by this little, what, one inch bug that in the summertime lives for four to six weeks and the wintertime has a longer life to pull the colony through winter. But honey is pretty amazing if you think about it. It is amazing. Uh, so what's the best gardening advice you've ever received? Best advice, keep my soil healthy. I went, when I was a first, when I went through my core course as a master gardener, I really said to myself, I almost skipped the soil section. Oh, I know about soil. I compost. It was the most fascinating class in all of my 13 classes as a core master gardener. 
and I will take a soil class anytime I can, I can get one because you can always learn something from it. But if you realize that there are so many little entities living in the soil at different temperatures, that you have more entities in a tablespoon of soil than we have people living on earth today. It's such a complicated web. The mycelium that connects trees, the mama trees that feed their baby trees to the mycelium and the connection, how they communicate with each other. It's just fascinating. It's fascinating. So soil to me is probably the most important thing a gardener needs to know about. Everything else is just extra. Have you read Nicole Masters' book, For the Love of Soil? I have not. It's like the kind of book, like, first I read it and then I did bought the audio book so I can listen to it while I'm driving. And like, I am not the kind of person that normally you would think would read a soil book. Right. She just like, she's a great storyteller and she has so much information in there. And it's true. Like you would not, it's just, it's just amazing how you can really begin to love the soil and the different creatures and organisms that are in there and just um become a total soil i don't know what you call us addict we're soil addicts (laughs) so charlotte what's the um what's your favorite tool like if you had to move and can only take one tool with you what could you not live without oh a pickaxe i have three of them with that i do i'm i garden on a limestone hillside i need a pickaxe to make holes so I can plant things. I guess move. I can't really imagine what what like what is a limestone hill because we live in the Rocky Mountains, so our place is really rocky. Like, what's limestone like? Is it like the lime that you buy in a bag that's like the white powder? No, it's a gray stone or or a or a a, a beige times like stone. It can be. You can crack it with a pickaxe if you're strong enough. The uh, the gray native rock is a little harder. But I grow the most, when people ask me, what do I grow in my garden? I say rocks. I have a ton of rocks and I use them, right? I put them in the bottom of a hole so that they can, they can let the water run through when I'm planting something. I use them for, for flower borders. But if I want to plant something new on this hillside, I need a pickaxe because I'm first, I'm going to remove the rocks that might be in the space where I want to plant. And then I need that pickaxe to be able to cut this clay and the hard soil that might be in that space. And then I have to amend that with mulch and compost and leaves. Sometimes I don't plant immediately. I'll just make the holes or the flower beds and let them sit for a season as I amend it. And then I'll plant it. So it doesn't happen. My planting on this hillside doesn't happen immediately unless I'm planting in pots. And then I can put something in pretty quickly. Wow, but you must be really strong. Well, I have become that way thanks thanks to pickaxing, right? You have to you have to be able to do that. How about your favorite recipe? What do you like to eat or cook from the garden? Oh, you know, I just discovered this. So I have a website called a teaspoon and it's, it's where I'm trying different things that I, maybe I'm growing or things I've never tried before because I wasn't raised in this country. And so I feel like I have to catch up with some things that I've missed out on. I did roasted cabbage a few weeks ago, cut them in actually the roasted cabbage steaks. You cut them in one inch steaks. You put extra olive oil, paprika, course, Hungarian background that maybe may have been speaking to me, a little oil, uh, salt and pepper, and then you roast it 
in your oven at 400, uh, I don't know, 20 minutes, I guess, on each side. It's the most amazing thing. I love roasted cabbage. That's my latest love. And it, you can have it as a meal. That with a little salad on the side and some hot tea. I'm, I'm all set. What's the website again? A teaspoon.com. Right. So what I've done is. Oh, there it is. Yeah. So my, my company is called Bluebird Gardens. We've done custom quilts and, and, and gifts. I'm doing a heart for somebody right now. They want to ask her to marry them. And so I'm making a heart pillow that's going to have a little pocket with a picture and all that. So the custom gift company is called Bluebird Gardens. And that has, it's been inspired by my garden. So from there, I have four blogs. I have made just for you, which is the idea of some things that you can do too. Like I love making bookmarks for people out of cards that people send you. Thank you cards. You put little magnets on them and use them as a bookmark in your books. Then I have a teaspoon, which is my cooking blog. I have gardening Charlotte, which is my obviously my gardening blog, and then home sweet bees, which is my beekeeping blog. They're all connected because you can't grow what you grow, you should cook. You should grow in good conditions, and then your bees help with the pollinations. But there are some people who just want to talk about bees. And so I separated at one time there was one blog, but I have them now in four blogs. And I get a lot of interaction from people through those blogs. And when if, when they discover one, they tend to discover the other ones. And that way they can find if they're looking for a recipe, they don't have to roll through 10, 20 entries about getting your hive inspected to find the recipe on, you know, using honey, they can go find that separately on the home sweet bees blog. And if they want don't want to use honey, they can go to the other one. So I enjoy writing if you can't tell. And I used to write a newspaper syndicated newspaper articles on the same topics. And so I just kept that up. It's good. It's a good practice for me as a writer to keep writing every day and sharing what I'm doing. Awesome. Well, you are a prolific writer. Uh, I, I just, uh, I guess I'm on Charlotte Kerwiggins. Or Sh right. I have an author's page or author's Charlotte website. Charlotte, right. CharlotteEckerWiggins.com. That's my author's website. Okay. Um, How about a favorite internet resource? Where do you find yourself surfing on the web? University extension websites. You know, there's a ton of stuff out there that you don't know is good information. So I look for information on university extension websites. The extension offices are designed to provide support to members of the public. And so that's what their mission is. And they have some excellent specialists on a lot of these extension uh, systems. So I, I go to university extension websites. And how about a book that you can recommend besides your awesome books? Oh, there's so many out there. Well, the soil, any soil book. The, there was, I think there's one called The Dirt on Soil. Or if there isn't one, I'll be writing that one. 
honestly, <laughs> any, any book on soil is a good place to start. And I think it's, it's, people don't think of that as exciting. I mean, I was one of those people who just didn't think it was going to be exciting at all. But once you get involved in that and listening to that, you know, understanding what's happening to your soil, I think your whole, your whole perspective on nature changes. It's been a while since I, I'm thinking, it's been a while since I've I pulled out a book on, so I have a number here downstairs in my library, but I just don't remember the names off the top of my head. Sorry. That's all right. It looks like there's one called Dirt, the Scoop on Soil. Oh, there we go. Maybe that's what you're thinking. That, that's the one. Yes. The Scoop on Soil. Yes. That's an excellent book. And if you want one that gives you a better feeling about about what's happening with soil, the hidden life of trees is fascinating because it talks about how trees relate to each other. And you don't think about trees as having any kind of relations, but the relationship is through soil, is through the mycelium network. So that's another excellent book. Oh, I haven't read that. I'll have to check that one out. Well, Charlotte, awesome. So my final question is kind of a doozy. If there's one change you'd like to see to create a greener world, what would it be? For example, is there a charity or organization you're passionate about or project you'd like to see put into action? Like, what do you feel, Charlotte, is the most crucial issue facing our planet in regards to the environment, either locally, nationally, or on a global scale? Well, I guess that's, that's something that I've actually tackled personally. I've talked about why bugs matter in a TED talk, TEDx talk in, in 2019. And that's what these books are about. I want to see people reconnecting with nature. I want them to understand that it's not about perfection, it's about balance. And we are part of that ecosystem. We are not, sub, we are not controlling that ecosystem. We are part of it. And I think beekeeping is a great way to introduce people to that because you are, as I said earlier, you're not telling the bees what to do. You are working with the bees. And I think that's the mind shift we need to make. We are no, we're not in control of this. We are only a part of this and nature will look at the natural disasters that we've been seeing. Nature will do everything it can to seek balance. And if we can contribute to balancing the world, I think we'll be better off. Charlotte, this has been so lovely. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to or anything else you want to tell listeners before we go through your websites again really quick? Yeah, no, thank you very much for inviting me. I just hope that people will consider composting. And, and try it for a month with that, with that plastic bag in their, in their freezer and see how easy it is. Because oh, it yeah. Did I ever mention that? So last year when I went to the farmer's market, I bought for my mom, there was a guy and you can order them selling like, it's like a little plastic basket. And then it has like the plastic bags that you can just, bear, they're like totally decompostable. And oh, so nice. Put it in that bag and, and then bury the bag right in so to make it a lot easier um yeah i do too i feel like i just feel like we have so much in common 
and just uh i really connected with you i'm so glad you came and shared and you reached out to me and 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 came on and and shared with us saying no listeners are gonna love this you dropped so many golden seeds golden honey just dripping out of your mouth and just <laughs> people you're a natural educator and just super wise and and full of wisdom and then passionate about sharing it so that's awesome because i'm not as good about sharing it as you are <laughs> i'm working on getting better but uh, it's hard and i'm a teacher <laughs> for me it's easier when you're in the classroom and like i have somebody else's like curriculum book and they're like here this is what you have to teach and these are the common core standards and this is you know this has to be done anyway uh all right, let's go through like is there one main website that people should go to because like when I went to the the Charlotte Ecker like I couldn't find the teaspoon one. Right. So Bluebird Gardens the teaspoon one it seems like you can connect to all the others. Well, bluebirdgardens.com is the main company website, right? That's the one that we use for people placing orders for quilts or making quilts or making custom gifts. With the, If you go to Bluebird Gardens at the top navigation bar, we'll say blogs. And from there, you'll get the four oh, blogs will come up. Here I see it. Got it. Awesome. Bluebirdgardens.com listeners. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us today and have a wonderful weekend. Thank you, Jackie. Have you a wonderful too. week, I guess. It's just Tuesday. I'm completely like daylight savings just throws me into a complete funk. Same here. And I'm sending you a copy of Beekeeper's Diary to help you with your bees. Oh, well, thank you. Well, awesome. I can't wait to read it. And, and we need all the help we can get because we have gone through like what, five or six, like, what are they, nukes or whatever that you buy? Yes, the nucleus colonies. Uh huh. And every year we have a new challenge and yet to have them make it through a winter. It, it is challenging, but may, I have some tips in the book, so I'll make sure to get you a copy. Well, thank you so much. You have a great day. You too, Jackie. Thanks for inviting me. Cover crops have been used in agriculture for thousands of years as a way to naturally and sustainably improve soil quality. Many gardeners don't realize that they can grow cover crops and get the same benefits as large farms. Cover crops add organic biomass to the soil, keep soil bacteria healthy, add nutrients, attract pollinators and beneficial insects, improve soil structure, prevent erosion, and so much more. Go to trueleafmarket.com and get 15% off cover crop seeds for all Green Organic Garden podcast listeners. Just use code GOG15, Green Organic Garden 15. Use code GOG15 at checkout to get 15% off cover crop seeds. Some restrictions apply. Do you know someone who would benefit from the Organic Gardener podcast? If you like what you hear, we'd love it if you'd share the Organic Gardener podcast with a friend. Thanks again for listening and remember, grow local.